Wait, you're selling a cookbook, but you don't even cook. I know, but my book is selling like hotcakes. Wait a minute. So how are you selling a cookbook and you can't cook? Because I might not be good at cooking, but I sure am good at marketing. Hey, this is Michelle Spivey, your Practical Priestess of Wisdom, and I want to welcome you to today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. You know the deal. Come on over. Join me on the flip as we get into being how to be good or good at it. I'll see you soon. All right, you guys, today we have a really, really good Wisdom Smack. Well, I think every day is really good wisdom smack, but I am coming to you with some mother wit wisdom. All right. So there is a saying that I've heard around the way that talks about be good or be good at it. And so today I'm going to use that one, but I'm also going to put an and in there because for some of us, either you can be good or you can be good at it. But for a lot of us, I want us to strive to be good and good at it. So let me break this down because I want to get into it, give you all the wisdom smack and let you go on about your day. And hopefully this will leave you way better than it found you. So what this means when you have someone that says either be good or be good at it, what they're saying is, is either you're going to be in the man in the arena or you're going to be uh, an, the person in the arena. Forgive me. Either you're going to be the person in the arena or you're going to be the person who owns the arena. Okay, so that's where the tradition of that came. And speaking of arenas, way back in 1910, the then president, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, was credited with a famous speech. It was a short speech, but there was a particular portion of it that stood out uh, from this speech. And it had to deal with the critic and the person actually doing. And... uh, I'm going to actually, if you'll permit me, I'm going to read a little bit of this because I actually love it. And there's a lot to be said about this. Okay, so y'all bear with me. So here it is. It says, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error or shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who, at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory nor defeat. Now, the reason why I wanted to read that to you is because I want to put a little bit of context on it about what was going on around this time. And it was it was it was given on a cold uh, morning uh, in 2000. I mean, excuse me, 1910 uh, before an assemble assembly of uh, leaders and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you guys took in a gulp of air, (laughs) forgive me. Uh, And so the context was, don't sit around criticizing us. You need to get in the fight. You don't get a chance to comment and criticize if you're not in it. And 
this was important because a mere four years after this, the biggest world war that the world had known to this time was going to erupt in, in, in 1914 and last for four years. And so with Teddy Roosevelt being a, a man of the nature, out and about the outdoorsman, and coming into politics and these types of things, he was of the opinion that you need to be a doer, meaning that you need to be good at it. So he was on that side. And because of his fervency and the way he gripped things, the bull by the horns, if you will, it ignited that passion in our culture. Now, let me tell you real quick about culture because we throw that word around so much. And I think the base understanding of it will help us a lot here. But if it goes missed, we won't get the full essence of what where the wisdom lies and being good and being good at it comes from. Okay, so culture. Uh, if we look at this from a basic understanding, we can we see that <clears throat> culture actually means an environment where uh, uh, that you can thrive in, an environment uh, where you are sustained. Think of a petri dish, and you put uh, some cells in it. If the cells die, then nothing happens. But if the cells thrive, multiply, and grow, then it becomes a culture. And that's the same thing with our term of culture, even if it's a a social culture. So at this time in the 1910s and and those things, there were a lot of things happening. Industrialization, industrialization was taking off. We were having to deal with the influx of peoples coming into cities where the jobs were, abandoning the harsh work of nature and inking out a living in uh, the, the fields of agriculture to come in and get a job so that one person could possibly work and the other persons could help raise the family so that the family would have a better time. These people were no 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 different from us. They wanted their children to be better than they were, so they were willing to do what they needed. But also with that, more people coming in, industry is now making it where people can earn a sustainable wage. The culture is exploding. And thus you're starting to get like the advent of true love as marriage. People didn't realize that up until when agriculture got to the point where it can be industrialized and we could start working on massive improvements to world uh, to eradicate world hunger, at least in a lot of the quote unquote first world countries, it was unheard of to just simply marry for love. That was something you hoped happened after you had grown to know each other. But at best, you married uh, for arrangement. You married for you to do better with each other than without, to have the best possible chance for your offspring to survive and for them to be able to help you 
to ink out a living. So now we're dealing with people that have enough time to fall in love and get married based off of that requirement. We've got people coming into cities, getting jobs. We've got grifters and con artists. We've got critics. This is where you get a lot of uh, men of means who leisure about in their clubs and now disseminate all of this, this criticism where they don't do anything. They live a life of leisure based on their family's uh, wealth. And so this guy, this outdoorsman, this grown boy scout, if you will, comes in and says, look, put some respect on my name. I don't want to hear your criticism if you're not out there doing the work as well. And it took off like wildfire. And this became the culture. This became either you put up or you shut up or what are you doing? So this became the age of activeness where people went out and they did instead of were more of spectators to the point where it became a slur, a put down. You know, we get the the terms, those who can do, those who can't teach kind of things uh, where it was lesser if you couldn't be good doing what you do. And so looking back at this um, over a hundred years later, I can now see where it's still um, viable and, like I said, and, and more is required. Meaning that if you can't be good at something, you can also be good at it. But if you can be good at something, you're darn near required to be good at it. Let's take a few little case studies here. Okay, so the first that come to mind are uh, to me right now so that we can understand what we're talking about here are going to be some American athletes, contemporary. So Shaq O'Neal and Michael Jordan, both of them are men who were very good at their jobs in the NBA. And so I don't think anyone would dispute that they were very good at being uh, basketball athletes. Uh, you know, now, of course, you could probably talk about Shaq's free throws and stuff, but that's that's not what we're talking about right now. I'm just talking about an overall assessment if they were proficient or beyond proficient at playing basketball. And most people would agree. Yes, they were. Now, that's where the good at it happens. If they were simply good at it. They would have been like, cool. And when they would have retired, they would have been revered. They possibly would have went on. Well, Shaq does uh, do commentary on what others are doing and who is able to point out what things are happening and uh, give credible criticisms to folks who are now playing the game because they have done it. Now, here is where when we mean be good at it happens, where you go the next level. So. Though being good at it is where now they have played in this arena of of Theodore Roosevelt's uh, making. But now they're good at it where they are learning to own the arena. And that's where we are in this particular age of culture. That is why uh, for most people, if you have missed it, I've got the memo for you and I'm going to tell you what it says. And it says that not only do you need to be a good tactician, a good performer, a, a good athlete, a good doer, because we do live in a maker's world. We live in a maker's society right now. Culture feeds and protects those who do. 
But not only that, you need to now become good at it where you're able to uh, benefit yourself and others and elevate what you're doing. So thinking about uh, this, I'm, I'm reminded of a book called e, E-Myth Revisited. And it was a book talking to entrepreneurs and self-employed. And it was a revolutionary book. I believe it came out in the 1990s. I'll have to check that. Um, but it, like I said, it was a revolutionary uh, idea where it actually talked about the the doers and the people who should be good at it, meaning the business people, because we're talking about business. And so he called, rightfully so, the doers, the tacticians. Those are the people, boots on the ground, doing the actual work. So if you are a baker and you want to have a bakery and you are going to be doing the baking, you're going to be the tactician. You're going to be the doer, the good at it person. But what this book was talking about uh, as a criticism was that most people, and it's by uh, Michael Gerber, Michael E. Gerber, uh, was that most people didn't realize that they weren't good at it. Yeah. See, with with that, they didn't, re- and it was um, in the late 80s. So originally it was published in 86, 1986. So just, you know, I want to give you a little uh, bit of context of when this was coming about. So in 19, the 1980s, when now people are really starting to get into the business, computers, personal computers, and all that stuff is taking off. So anyway, he talks about it's not only good that you be good at what you do. He says you got to be good at the industry in which you live. And so he was in his book, he even offered that you find someone, that you devote your time to making the bread, and then you find a business person who works for you, who is going to devote their time to making your bread sell and keeping the lights on and keeping the brick and mortar st- store open. And so when people were talking about E-Myth Revisited, it gave way to an entire new industry of virtual workers for entrepreneurs who were good at doing what they did, but then they needed the administrative help and they were well willing and able to get help. But then lo and behold, around the 2010s, we start having people who are, are you ready? They are a new breed. Not only are they good, but they're good at it. So you get these young folk, you know, and I remember, you know, being in this, this, this field, you know, this is when I'm, I'm starting to make my, uh, my big leaps, you know, from corporate world, because I didn't realize that I was, that I could articulate it this way, but I came out of uh, sitting at the feet of the Robert Kiyosaki's rich dad, poor dad. And I started learning uh, more about the running of the arena. Yes, even though I was part of the entertainment, the show on the floor. Oh, I was definitely starting to learn what they kept the lights on, how to get the spectators in and, and the like. And thus, that would give way to me starting to have a lucrative self-publishing business and now media business. And I didn't realize it, but now at the end of this, you know, decade looking back and, you know, review in the in the new decade, uh, you know, starting a new decade, I'm seeing that, wow, we made the shift where you no longer were good or good at it. No, you got to be both. 
And so that's the wisdom smack I want to tell you guys today, that what's required for you to be in a culture, and remember what it's a culture? A culture is an environment where you uh, grow and thrive. If you are struggling in your culture, if the culture is not supporting you, you need to look at the requirements to thrive within that culture. And the requirements now are that you become not only a maker or a doer or someone who is good at doing something, you become good at it. Now, in the A part, I talked about uh, a situation that was had a, you know, I, I had to make it where it wasn't on the nose, but I did have a situation like that where someone who is not good at something but was good at it opened my eyes even more. Now, this happened a few years ago, and I was like, mind blown. So I'm going to give you an instance because I'm not going to give away what this person is doing, okay? So I'm going to give you an instance, and let's say, let's go back to this this Baker uh, format, okay? So now, this person doesn't know how to cook but or bake or anything, but they love baking. They love all things baking, and they've tried, but it's just not in their DNA. They just can't make it work. And so now we also have people, and we've always had these type of people, but I'm saying right now, uh, they are having a, a resurgence that is notable, uh, that these people are able to, as I like to call it, curate. They have the eye. They have the golden eye, the golden ear or whatever of whatever it is that they are fascinated with, and they have become the supreme good at it. Okay? So, um, you have a person who can't cook but manages to put out a best-selling cookbook that is beating all of the cookbooks of some of the greatest chefs and bakers of all time. And how is this happening? Because they have been good at it. Uh, there are so many examples that I could go through. So whereas we've got the uh, Shaquille O'Neal's and the Michael Jordans who were very good at sports and then they parlayed that into understanding how to own their empires um, in that arena uh, and turning themselves into lucrative personalities where they become their brand and their business, you have other people who are never going to be able to do that, but yet and still they're able to do the same. Let me give you a few for instances here. So a few come to mind uh, when we, we talk about this being good at it in today's world, okay? So like I said before, curation. If you go on YouTube, there are a lot of different people who are making mad money at being curators. So for instance, I don't know why this guy is coming up, but I'm going to go on and, and, and just give him whatever. In the hip hop world, uh, there are many different uh, performers and acts, and it is a vibrant cast of people. They always have something going on. And there are people who will never rap, who are not good at rapping, but they are really good at being good at the game of rap. And so there's this one individual, I'm just going to give him a quick little I'm not going to call it a shout out, but a mention as a case study. And his name, he goes by Vlad, V-L-A-D. And I think it's like, uh, it's not for Vladimir. I know it's not that. It's something else. Anyway, he is, uh, he is uh, solely on YouTube and he has developed an empire. <coughs> Excuse me, you guys. 
He has developed this empire uh, where he goes out and he interviews people in the hip hop world, whether they be performers, they be promoters, but anybody that is ground zero or adjacent to the in the arena folks. And he started as a spectator. Now, this is the thing. He started as a spectator admiring. Now, these are his words, you know, uh, admiring the art form. And so what he started doing was he was like, I'm a spectator. I enjoy it. Let me start bringing more spectators in. And so by doing these interviews, putting them up on YouTube and offering continuous content in his own words, he says, I realized YouTube was unlike the networks. The networks shut down. Uh, they have a sign off or you get reruns. But YouTube, there are really no no such things as reruns unless you want to just watch something over and over again. You can always be putting out new content. And so he got good at giving a continuous stream of content in this arena. And he was not presenting it as a critic, unlike the old model. Remember when we talked about the man in the arena and uh, President Roosevelt talking about the critics? He didn't come as a critic. He came as a curator. And because of that, he started being able to get better and better talent in the hip hop world. Uh, People who wanted to promote a new project, people who were movers and shakers, people who were hot, uh, people who were kingmakers. They all started to come and talk to Vlad to the point now where he is able to pick and choose. He has uh, a crew, a, a company around this where he continuously gives out daily information around this sector. So he has become very good at it and he has become a mover and shaker in the hip hop world. There will be people that will tell you going on Vlad TV, because that's what it's called. Going on Vlad TV is one of the things you want to do if you want to promote your products or keep your name in the, um, in the, uh, the tongues of the people and all of that. And so you've got these new people coming up that they're not trying to be critical. They're not trying to uh, offer any kind of um, insight, if you will, into what people do in the arena. No, what they are doing is they are spectators. And as the spectators, they are learning to find the best gigs to spectate putting them together and offering them to people that says, look, I took the guesswork out for you. As a spectator, these are the people that I am really vibing on. And so they are turning themselves into these good addicts. Let me give you another one um, that's not so contemporary. Clive Davis. Clive Davis is said to have a golden ear. Clive Davis is not a singer, but Clive Davis has made a lot of singers very, very well-known and famous. Case in point, one of the greats, Whitney Houston. Arista Records is his record company. He signed her, he uh, molded her, and thus presented the world with the great Whitney Houston. Now, I'm not going to say that he made her. I'm saying that he was the person who had worked up to a point where he was able to help her along. But even with that, if you look at it, he was not a critic. He was a spectator who understood good, um, good performers, good makers when he saw them. And so he would start to curate them and uh, put them forward to people. And so 
in today's world, what is required of us is to be good and good at it. Or if you can't be good, then you definitely need to be good at it. But you come at it from a different standpoint. Instead of being a critic, you be a curator. You understand contextually what's happening. You understand what will thrive in the culture. Remember what a culture is, you guys. And you do more. Now, in my last few minutes, I want to I want to talk a little bit more about this being good and being good at it and how it can work depending on where you are in the phases of your life. All right. So going back to my uh, examples of the athletes, when they were young, they were good, good at doing what they did because it was a physically demanding sport and they were able to be the athletes that the sport needed and required during their times of heyday. But when they got too old to be on the field, they came off. When they were too old to play on the field, they came off. But this is the thing that I want to stress here, that what's required of all of us. No, if you're young, especially if you're young, instead of just focusing on being a good player, you need to start now at learning how to be a good player, but also learning how to own your own game. Learning what are the wheels that turn, uh, how to keep the plate spinning, what are possible cogs in the system, learning the mandatory minimums to manage your own world, to be really good at building that arena around you and owning it so that when you do have to come off of the field, you're able to be good at it of keeping people in the arena to watch others. One of the saddest things I see is when people who should have come off of the field a long time ago won't or can't because they know they there's nothing for them on the other side. They have not taken the time and the wisdom to learn how to not only be good, but to be good at it as well. And then, so say for instance, you're like, Michelle, I am not young. I, uh, you know, What I want you to understand is that wherever you are, if there is something that you want to do, you know, you can do it. If there's something you want to be good at, you can be good at it. Um, Esports. I am very fascinated with esports. I have a member of my family who's on an esports team and is doing very well. Shout out to them if they're listening. Love you, darling. Don't forget to return my phone call. Call me, okay? But anyway, um... (laughs) That fascinates me, but because I did not grow up playing games, and I just don't think I would have the digit dexterity that is required to make the fast moves to play, I don't know if that would be something I would be good at doing. But I am very interested at being good at it when it comes to having a team and setting up my own league and guild and all of that kind of stuff. And this could, I don't think this could have happened before the times that we're in because this particular uh, setup stands on the shoulders of all of the things we've talked about of a time when it was touted that to be to thrive in the in in our culture you had to be in the arena everybody had to take a turn in the arena where you could actually get shamed for not being in the arena and then moving from there to understanding that 
I've been in the arena. I'm not good at it. So what I will do is I'll be happy to be a spectator and I'll learn how to bring other spectators. And instead of criticizing what the people do on the field that I can't do, I will curate and say, these are the best and show other spectators. And thus, I will be offering uh, something to society where I'm able to thrive. And as you can see how it continues to go and go, we can thrive whether we are good at doing something or if we are good as a observer and a spectator. And no matter what stage of your life you're in, you can and should be investigating all sides. Now, the wisdom is to know when you're not good at doing something, okay? Let's just be honest. And also another wisdom is if you have been good at doing something, but you're declining, you're not able to continue to do it when you need to come off that field and you need to be on the other side. Uh, And part of that coming off of it leads me into one of the biggest things that I see is coming up. And that is the need and the space for the sages. Uh, Our grandparents, the boomers, yes, our parents and grandparents are getting older. There are reports now that says things like, and I just read this one, this this is real, uh, by like 2030. Uh, cities like Tampa Bay and a lot of the retirement cities in Florida and other warm places are going to be devastated by one in three homes uh, being sold or are being offered on the market because the baby boomers are dying and they will no longer have these homes. And I was like, wow, you know what? You have a point. Because if you look at it right now, the uh, the boomers or were born uh, in in um, uh, right after World War II in the 40s through the early 60s, and the babies of the baby boomers uh, by 2030 are going to be at least 70. So yes, we're already starting to see how they are when when they move into a new area, they wreck the whole thing. And so I'm just telling you, wisdom now says to learn how to be good at something and be good at it. Learn how to be a maker if you can. And while you're learn how to, learning how to be a maker, learn how to own the game of what you make, because there's going to come a time very soon where there are going to be gaps that you can get into. And only those who are ready and understand what they're good at and what they're good at overseeing are going to profit from it. And so just bear that in mind. Make sure that you understand if you're the tactician or the owner or both, hopefully, that you can do this. So guess what? Yeah, my time is up, y'all. I thank you for yours. This has been Michelle Spivey, your Practical Priestess of Wisdom with another podcast of Wisdom Smack. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye. And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, 
uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.